Did you hear that? Was that a loon? Most likely, we're in the north. That reminds me, it's time for Local Matters. Welcome to Local Matters with James Steidel. Good afternoon, everybody. It's your host, James Steidel, here in the studio. We've got Rowan Whittacase in, in the studio with us today. Uh, as I was hanging out with Rowan on Monday night and a bunch of other people, we were doing some, some canning there at uh, down at the South, uh, South Fort George Community Center, I think it's called. And... Yeah, we, we had a great time. We we got a whole bunch of um, had a whole bunch of cans on the go there, and and uh, amazing canning technology that I'd never known about before. And we we packed away quite a bit of food, and I, th- I think maybe we'll talk about that a little bit today. Uh, and then uh, we'll also get into a program that Rowan's involved in uh, about getting kids teaching kids about farming and local agriculture and stuff. I guess in, in school is that is that a good way to describe it? Yeah, it's <laughs> a good way to introduce it. Cool, and um, and that's your that's basically your day job. Yeah. 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 So tell us about Monday night and and uh, what, what did we do? Yeah, so Monday night it's the Prince George Canning Circle. So it runs every Monday night, starting at five thirty, and it goes until really whenever we wrap up, depending on what we have going on. And it's uh, a pro- program that started Alex Rowan started with everyone at the table. In, in Prince George, and it's connected to the Salvation Army's food recovery program. And so with that, uh, Alex and other volunteers go into the Salvation Army, and they glean uh, produce that is kind of in the middle. So it might have some bumps and bruises or a little bit um, going off, so they don't want to give it to uh, clients that use the services. Uh, but it's not quite ready to go to feed the hogs. So kind of gather those bits and then bring that to the space on Monday evenings. And so it's it's kind of a mystery as to what you'll be processing each night. But they come up with creative ways. So often if it's fruit, they'll make jams or syrups uh, and other things like that. And then uh, with the vegetables, often they turn them into fresh soups. So uh, sometimes it's even salsas and things that are canned, but often the fresh soups then get uh, distributed the next day around town to the community, to places that are already serving and supporting people. So yeah, we, we, uh, there was a whole pile of raspberries that, yeah. that we were working on on Monday night there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was amazing. They were organic raspberries from, I guess, from maybe the superstore or something, but they were... You know, a few, of the, a few of the cartons were a little, had a little bit of mold on the raspberries, but I mean, a lot of them were still... You know, you could still sell them, but I guess they just kind of got rid of the, got rid of the whole batch. And uh, yeah, so we—that was kind of my job for that night—is was just going th- going through all those raspberries, and and we must, you know, remember how many pounds of raspberries we? Yeah, my brain wants to say it was like two hundred pounds. Like, or something. It was a yeah, lot of a raspberries. There's flats and flats of raspberries, and I think we only filled maybe two full five-liter compost buckets with raspberries that weren't good. So, yeah, there was a lot mm. of. Great goodies there. <laughs> yeah, and then we had strawberries uh, that we, we did some stuff with and apples. And I contributed a few. That I had a few apples that were kind of past their prime. And uh, that, that was pretty neat, actually. The So basically, you know, uh, whenever I've processed apples before, I've kind of, like, had to, like, put them in the, like, get, get the core, get rid of the core, kind of get the skin off. And I had this little device when I was a kid that we used to use. That would, like, you'd crank it. You'd put the, the apple on these four uh, pins and you crank it and it would peel it and, and it would take the core out. But, uh, yeah, you guys had a pretty cool technique there. Basically just cut the apples up. Uh, and then we, and then do you want to describe what we did next with, 
with that 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 fancy new uh, contraption you guys had that finish thing what was that all about yeah so um i think the collective knowledge of the people that are volunteering this program and the equipment and tools that they bring it it is really exciting like being introduced to all kinds of uh new techniques so the one was like a steam juicer essentially and yeah there is like an uh an actual name for it but i also can't remember what it is right now but essentially it's uh makes it so much more efficient to process the apples into juice because you just like you said you just cut them in half you don't need to peel them you don't need to take the seeds out or anything and then it's like a basket that sits on top of a water bath below and then the steam comes up and essentially juices them but then the mashed pulp afterwards they had another uh, tool where you probably know more details on this because you were the one that actually did it all night but that turned that pulp into applesauce yeah that was so cool it's kind of it was pretty it was like a like magic i think like how that steam that that uh, steam juicer i guess it was mm-hmm. called but base, basically you're getting like juice just from like the it steams out the juice out of the apple somehow yeah. so i was imagining you know when you make apple juice you need a big press and um you know you got to squish all these apples and it's quite a quite a quite an ordeal to get that juice out of there but uh this thing just kind of just with the the power of steam made the juice and then with the, then once the juice was out of those apples yeah we we put it in the food processor thing and it uh kind of grinded up all the apples and all the somehow all the seeds and all the the hard bits kind of got squished out the end and all the pulp from the apples we uh recovered and we put that we canned that and made some applesauce we must have made probably 20 cans of 20 cans of applesauce i left early i you know it kind of I, I bailed out at around 9 30 and you guys were still going how late did you guys stay yeah i oh, even no, left not that we want to let people know here because we might scare away volunteers <laughs> no. but how, how late were you guys there for well i i tapped out also at like 10 but then i think alex did a little bit more and yeah volunteers that come you can you can come for half an hour if you want like there's no pressure to stay till the end and the time the length of time can fluctuate by what is gleaned also so this was like a unique opportunity where they actually called alex back the salvation army called alex back and and we're like come we just got all these raspberries uh come back for them so it's kind of like a surprise (laughs) delight but it made it for a long evening because Mm -hmm. yeah you don't want to waste any of that so alex was um making i think with the the juice there uh, was she was making jam or something? Added pectin to it and made jam out of the apple juice. Was that what she did with that? Yeah, yeah. So sometimes they make like a jelly, so they'll turn it into like or the jelly. liquid state, and then yeah, if you add the pectin, you can turn it into a jelly. But I took I um, the other night took home a big jar of crab apple juice. Oh and yeah, just yeah, so delicious. Even even in that state without adding the sugar and pectin. So all this food that uh, we process, uh, what what happens with this food? Yeah, it all goes out into the community. So, well, so actually, it works kind of in the thirds. So, the, um, a th- third of it is goes to volunteers, just the, the concept at large, and a third can be to use to fundraise to keep the program going for the cost of the jars and materials. And then a third of the food ends up going out to the community, but it ends up being much more than that. Like the majority of all the food goes out to the community, and then volunteers that come and invest their time, they can take two jars home every night so whether that's some jams or soups and the the 
food that goes out to the community, it goes out to multiple different places around, so places that are already supporting, like um, Moccasin Flats, uh, AWAC, ASAP, these kind of service organizations. And also there's, I know there's one individual there that is connected to one of the elementary schools here. So she comes in and she cooks soups that she'll take to the school, elementary school the next day to serve to the to the kids there. Hmm. Yeah, I was actually going to ask about that, about um, like how they get money to support that. Because I know it's obviously volunteer time, but mm-hmm. there's there's some expenses. You got to get like the new lids all the time for the canning stuff. Uh, so how, how how do we raise money for that, or how's where does that come from? Yeah, so that is gained through fundraising, like grants. So grants definitely started the program and uh, have been keeping it ongoing. There's been some people have made donations. Uh, we definitely always encourage to jars to be returned. We can't reuse the lids, but we can uh, sanitize and reuse the jars. So another part of the program I forgot to mention is with the Salvation Army. Uh, they created a Jam Forever program where I think it's $5 to get your first uh, jar of jam. But then if you bring your empty jar back, you'll just get a new um, full jar of jam oh. um, ongoing. And is that from us from... Do yeah. we make that? We're making yeah, that jam? Yeah, it's the jam that's made at the Salvation Army. Or, sorry, that's made at the Canning Circle. goes to the Salvation Army, and so then they have the program out of there. So people returning jars is helpful <laughs> to keep the cost down. But then there's, um, at the Salvation Army as well, in in um, addition to the fresh produce, they also connect us with, like, salt and sugar and some spices sometimes to, to support um, the progress. And then we've, in the past, uh, Canadian Tire kind of supported by giving um, jars at cost. So there has been some community support, but it will definitely continue to need, yeah, to seek funding and donations. Do you take donations of, of uh, mason jars? I believe so, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I'd need to clarify with Alex specifically on that in terms of, like, what kind and where they come from. But, yeah, I'm sure it would be a... Okay, folks, if you're out there listening and if you have some high-quality canning jars that, you know, you didn't have, you weren't storing uh, paint in or, <laughs> or something like that, might be able to use them. Yeah, yeah. And we have a website, letseatlocal.ca. Um, so if you look that up, then it has a link to contact us and it has a link to the canning circle. So you can always just reach out and email us for any questions. So when did the canning circle get started? Ooh, when did it get started? I want to say it's been going for a couple years now. Okay. <laughs> but Has it always been at the uh, at the South Fort George Community Center there? Yeah, so that's another lovely support we have is the South Fort George uh, Community Resource Center. They uh, also are donating the space for us to use the, the, the Monday evenings, uh, which is very lovely. And, yes, it has, it has always been in that location, yeah. Is that a school district building still or who? Uh... Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, I believe it's, it's school district and city hybrid, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was a pretty busy place. They had like a fitness mm. uh, thing going on in there on Monday yeah. night. Yeah. yeah, they have like an exercise group in there. And uh, yeah, I think they do a lot of amazing community support work out of yeah. that building. Yeah, all the 90s techno really kept us going. I think we, we <laughs> yeah. were able to go through a lot a lot of those raspberries a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Um because of the music and 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 all the activity in there so the other cool thing that, that we did there is we um we canned obviously and it, it's that's not all you guys do there you guys were making a lot of soups and 
and uh, freezing some of the fruit mm-hmm. and, and vegetables. But the canning was pretty cool. Um, you guys were using what's called like a, a steam canner. What? Yeah, yeah. So similar to the steam juicer concept, the steam canner actually is much more efficient. It uses much less water and it's much faster. So um, similar to like a water bath canner where the jars are sitting up above, but it's it's yes, it's on a tray that's up above up above the water, but it's again, it's more of that steam um, process that does the canning. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful. Yeah, that was that was so cool. I, I guess um, a lot of you guys have never seen that before or so somebody came up with that and then mm-hmm. these new ideas just s- spread around to the canning circle now now you've got all these expert canners in town using cutting edge yeah well and i think technology. a lot of this technology is not new but it's just uh, a lot of us yeah aren't well, the, aware of it or haven't used it before yeah and and, and canning is, is one of those things i think that that a lot of people have forgotten about you know we mm-hmm. just get used to going to the grocery stores and and buying stuff and you know, back in the old days, we used to have to preserve a lot of our food before, and there's probably a lot more people that knew that this is all just, like, basic knowledge, and mm-hmm. and now we've lost that, so it's pretty cool to see the canning circle as kind of this uh, fountain of, of education and knowledge for for people to kind of regain those skills that may have been lost, and probably going to need those skills in the future. Yeah. Um, so, I, I don't know, do you want to talk a little bit about... Uh, we got about five more minutes before our break. We could talk about your uh, your day job. Yeah. And, yeah, and so what's that program called? So uh, my day job is with uh, Farm to School BC, which is a provincial program. It's part of the Public Health Association of BC. And my position up here is uh, we have what we call community animators, essentially regional coordinators throughout the province. And so I support the North Central area, so school districts 2857 and 91. And with that, the objective is really just to support all K-12 schools, educators, school districts to succeed in trying to integrate more food literacy or just food food connection, food teachings within um, school. So are you providing like course material to educators or are you actually going into the class doing presentations and stuff? Yeah, I do less of the actual in the class presentations. Um, it's more, yeah, trying to support uh, to make the educators and those like actually in the classroom be able to um, engage in this successfully. So yeah, it's more about connecting uh, resources or our program will develop resources and connecting curriculum connections. We do a lot of um, like uh, presentations and webinars for ProDs, but we also, uh, we have our own funding program with within uh, Farm School BC. So we yeah, fund a lot of schools across the province each year. And then we support those schools directly as best we can within their projects. And we also connect with schools and educators. We can go to their schools. We can help them with like developing project concepts, with um, just questions in, in finding information for that, connecting them to additional uh, funding or community donations and another big one is community connections so they may be even connecting like educators together in terms of sharing knowledge and experience and opportunities but then also connecting schools to the community because of course um, community food and school food are, are 
are very integrated as well. So often projects that may benefit the community could also benefit the school. And there's opportunities for the community to also support these uh, great school projects. For example, if there's a school garden, um, community members can like champion that garden, help volunteer, um, support summer maintenance, because that, of course, is a, can be a barrier to some schools and educators that might not be around in the summer. But... Yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of creative ways to support, and it varies by every community and school need. Do you ever um, partner with like 4-H or, or the those farm groups at all, or is that yeah, um, totally yeah, different? definitely, yeah, partnering with with other um, organizations and groups with similar um, objectives or doing similar work is definitely something we always strive to do and 4-H is actually shifting into more gardening and they're they're also wanting to get into supporting more school engagement so I know at the program level I think that there's some uh, new kind of partnership collaborations taking place there and then at like the regional level there's definitely conversations happening and yeah trying to work together in that that's uh yeah that's an important point is that you know teachers don't know everything and that's you know there's new stuff that that comes up and and you know the, the education system it's like you, you don't we're not just educating to make sure our kids are educated we got to make sure our teachers are also educated about stuff because mm-hmm. you know um things that we take for granted in the education system um and what you know teachers are expected to know might change over time and or like this canning stuff or like how to like grow your own food you know like that's not really taught anymore this is all sort of unknown uh knowledge basically that that needs to be kind of re-remembered and retaught. and yeah that's that's so cool you're doing that that's really really important work you're doing Royan. yeah thank you yeah there's a lot of potential and there's a lot of uh, a lot of educators really want this um this education to take place and they're doing it off usually in addition to what they're already doing off the side of their desks and it comes from a place of also like yeah uh, passion for for this kind of education to happen and but a big barrier like you acknowledged can be that having the knowledge in the first place to actually engage in in these processes but then also like there's um little to no infrastructure existing in a lot of a lot of schools to start engaging in like different uh, food processing projects or indoor growing outdoor growing so and finding the the funding to support those is an additional thing they usually have to take on as well mm-hmm. cool we're gonna we're gonna take a break uh soon here we're with uh roanne Woodacase here in the studio uh for uh, talking about the farm to school program uh, we'll take a break and we'll be right back to talk about more local food, uh, local food processing, and other stuff. Support CFIS Community Radio while having fun with online bingo Tuesday nights. Stop by CFIS Studios Monday through Friday between 8.30 and 5 or Saturdays between 8.30 and 2 to purchase your $5 bingo tickets. Then play from the comfort of your own home Tuesday nights at 7 on YouTube. Hundreds of dollars in prize money is up for grabs. Independent bingo license 146929. Know your limit. Play within it. CFIS Tuesday Night Bingo. Get your tickets today at 1299 3rd Avenue. Your Prince George Public Library invites you to come out and celebrate the rich tapestry of African and Caribbean history and culture. On February 24th from 1 to 3, the downtown branch of the Public Library will be hosting a celebration of Black History Month. There will be a number of engaging cultural activities as people come together to honor and amplify black voices. 
a celebration of Black History Month, Saturday, February 24th, from 1 to 3, at the downtown branch of your Prince George Public Library. The Prince George Council of Seniors is coordinating the United Way's Better at Home program. If you are 55-plus and could use help with grocery shopping or some light housekeeping, contact the Prince George Council of Seniors Better at Home Coordinator at 250-564-5888 to see if you qualify for these services. It's all designed to help seniors remain independent. Better at Home from the United Way and your Prince George Council of Seniors. Call 250-564-5888. Forecast from Environment Canada. Today, clearing this afternoon, wind from the north at 20, high minus 5 with a wind chill to minus 12. Tonight, a few clouds, fog patches developing after midnight with north winds becoming light, low minus 14 with a wind chill to minus 20. Thursday, morning fog patches, then sunny, wind from the north at 20 starting late in the afternoon, high minus 7 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 10. Hello, everybody. It's your host, James Title on Local Matters. We've got Roland Whittacase in the studio with us, and we're, we're talking about kind of local food stuff. Uh, so Roland's, Roland's going to be with us here till about 1.30, and then she's got to run off uh, back to work for to the Heritage Elementary. Mm-hmm. What are you guys talking about over there? Yeah, so Heritage Elementary, um, they're trying to get a school, outdoor school garden established. Uh, outdoor school garden, outdoor school classroom, yeah, have big, big um, project vision of like a food forest and a lot of amazing things happening there. And then the benefit of uh, DP Todd High School being right beside, and there's there's educators keen at the high school as well to um, collaborate on this project. Awesome. So that uh, Duchess Park has a little garden, don't they? Yep. Yeah, Duchess Park. They have uh, an indigenous garden that's on uh, the library side of the school. I don't know. Who would know <laughs> that detail? But anyways, and yeah, it's it's really beautiful. They've been working on it for quite a while, actually, getting it all established. So they've been integrating some um, native indigenous plants into the area, and they've built these beautiful um, wooden like benches, so it can be also like a teaching learning space or a classroom. Um, and yeah, they'll continue evolving how many uh, different plant species are in that space. And then they also have some garden um, boxes, and they have a, a garden space in the front entrance as well, where last year they had a variety of different plants growing. Cool. Now, uh, this is kind of not, not your ballywick, I guess, or maybe it is, but uh, the community gardens, uh, We've how many of those do we got in town right now? I don't know if I can give you an exact number off the top of my head, but I know on our... Um, Leslie Local website for everyone at the table. We do have a list, actually, of existing community gardens. Um, but there are uh, a couple handfuls out there. And I know, I think it was last year, a couple of them were actually seeking people to engage in that space. So there is opportunity. And there's, of course, opportunity for many more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's, uh, we're getting close to the time when the, to think about uh, getting seeds lined up. And mm-hmm. and uh, just a little shout-out. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about this on in a couple weeks again on the show, but uh, CD Saturday is coming up. That's going to be on uh, March the 2nd. It's a Saturday, not a, not a Friday or Sunday, if I got that date wrong. Uh, and that'll be an opportunity to go and, and get a bunch of seeds and get... Um, get your garden started but also you know folks if you're listening maybe that's uh if if you want to get involved in in kind of local food security stuff maybe check out that um 
check out the website and and maybe make some connections with some of the community gardens around town that are looking for volunteers or you could get a little plot going mm-hmm. and and do some gardening so what was is, would that just be the um what was the website again um let's see local uh, right. pg website but then also um connecting to the david douglas botanical garden society who there who are running the cd saturday but they also have established um along with reaps the recycling environmental action planning society in prince george um some community gardens up at the university and so those will be opening up uh, as well. Um, I don't know the details in terms of, like, getting access to using that space, but it's another opportunity and just an, a wealth of knowledge between those two organizations as well in terms of accessing uh, growing space. And I know up at UMBC there was the PG Perg um, gardens they have up there, and I know they had community engagement in those garden beds as well in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so important to... Uh, to think about our local food security, where our food comes from, and, and also to like think about how much uh, how much we lost. I always find it really interesting that we that we used to have a lot of uh, basically we were self sufficient in, in a lot of our root vegetables here in town. You know, we grew like all of our own potatoes, we grew all of our own carrots, uh, cabbages. We had mushroom farms. You know, we lost. We don't have mushroom farms anymore. We actually do have a urban mushroom grower, PG Urban Shroomery. He grows oh, yeah, yeah, indoors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I take that back. <laughs> and he's he's at the farmers market usually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and uh, the Eric Allen there, who's got the talk show, the After Nine show that on Monday that that I sometimes I usually sit on the panel on. You know, he had a funny story about uh, they used to have gardens down below the cemetery, down kind of where the sewer treatment plant is okay. down there. And uh, the kids from PGSS, they used to go down and tend those gardens after oh, class or, or help with the harvest in the fall or something. And they, they had big, giant uh, uh, root cellars built into the side of that hill there. Really? So he says. Ah, I right? that, yeah. Little vaults underneath the cemetery. <laughs> um, but uh, that, that was basically, you know, you could store those potatoes all winter. You never had these refrigerated warehouses. It was, like, mm-hmm. really efficient. And uh, you had student labor helping out with with the farming and gardening. Now, I'm wondering, like for the can for um, the canyon circle, I wonder if that's something that. Uh, what are the chances of getting like high school kids involved in that kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, and there are some. A lot of educators really do want to get into that that food processing side. And I know with PGSS, there was a group of educators that were actually leading like a soup soup group and they were actually connected to the Salvation Army as well and so yeah there is there is the the want for those things to happen it can also just come down to the um, capacity of the educators and having the equipment to get on board with that but yeah we have had discussions about um, that happening whether that would be them coming to the canning circle but another big part of the canning circle is education so we've had some of the canners there the expert canners they've done workshops at some of the schools i know pgss was one of them uh, they went and did a canning class at, with the um, foods class at pgss and they taught them how to make jam so that kind of action is taking place yeah cool um one, one of the one of one of the points there on monday night was you always got to make sure that rim of that uh the rim is clean on your mm-hmm. jar before or you put the that seal lid on. Won't, uh, might not seal properly. Yeah. Yeah. So lot, lots of little, lots of little things to remember, and then how long to like leave those those uh, e- each kind of um, each thing you're canning might be a little bit different as far as how long mm-hmm. you got to leave it on the on the stove or something. But anyway, it's not simple. You know, <laughs> you, you need you need yeah. to have some experts teach you uh, and 
yeah, food safety. Uh, so yeah, it's it's really important thing to learn, and yeah, it'd be cool to see more of that uh, in the education system and and being taught in the high schools. So I guess uh, you know there's a really good kitchen there at, at South Fort George Community Center. I guess most high schools must have some facilities to. to yeah, do this, it definitely huh? varies. Some some have a lot more than others, um, and some don't really even have the um, like the facilities, like the electrical upgraded well enough to really put in some of like these new uh or even just new new ovens or new cooking equipment so Mm -hmm. so yeah there's a lot of improvements that can be made but thankfully there's there's a lot of drive for it to take place and the provincial government actually just funded the feeding futures funding which um, each school district received funding to enhance their meal programs so part of that funding is uh and it depends on the district how they're managing it but a lot of it is going towards like food infrastructure in schools that's lovely yeah that's that's awesome news yeah we've found i mean that's a subject for a whole other show about uh you know getting lunches in schools it's something that um we don't mm-hmm. have in bc uh which you know a lot of a lot of other jurisdictions do have uh so in, thanks so much for coming in Rowan. we're gonna we're gonna wrap this segment of the show up um and we're gonna talk about some tiny homes and moxon flats here for the second half of the hour but yeah, we were we were just talking about uh, some of the education programs going on in uh, in the elementary schools um around um you know getting getting uh, kids uh and and teachers up to date on on some of the challenges of, of food security and learning about food and all that. Uh and we also talked about the canning circle. So that's every Monday night at the South Fort George Community Center. It starts at 5:30. If uh the door is locked or whatever, come around to the side, the 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 kitchen window, it's all steamed up cuz they're canning <laughs> yeah. away in there and just knock on that window to get their attention and somebody'll let you in. I had a lot of fun there on Monday night and I'll be back again. So yeah. anyway, Miracle Theater's next show is A Comedy of Tenors by Ken Ludwig starting March 13th. Shows are Tuesday through Saturday at 7:30 with Saturday and Sunday matinees at 2. Tickets are just thirty-seven fifty. Available at Books and Company or order by phone at two five zero five six three sixty six thirty seven. Written by Tony Award-winning playwright Ken Ludwig, *A Comedy of Tenors* is a comedic treasure not to be missed. *A Comedy of Tenors* by Ken Ludwig, starting March thirteenth at ArtSpace, a Miracle Theater presentation. The Elder Citizens Recreation Association reminds patrons that they will be closed on Monday, Family Day. Other dates to make note of this month, there's a foot clinic scheduled for Monday, February 26th. Contact the center to book your appointment. And this month's general meeting will be on Tuesday, the 27th. More information is available on their website, eldercitizens.wixsite.com slash website and at the ECRA office on 10th between Vancouver and Winnipeg streets. Learn what arthritis and the heart have in common and why it is important to your overall health and wellness during the next Live Well Prince George Society event, February 28th. Also, don't miss the Wellness North Expo, March 27th, to find out what's new for treatments and pain relief. More information is available through their website, livewellpg.ca. That's arthritis and heart, February 28th, and the Wellness North Expo, March 27th, from Live Well Prince George Society. We're we're back. I'm back. Not allowed to refer to myself in a third person here. I, you're, I'm your host, James Steidel, here with Local Matters. We just had Rowan Whittacase in the studio. We were talking about farm-to-school programs and, and the canning circle. And uh, now we've got uh, Philip Fredrickson and Brad Gustafson in the studio. 
uh, kind of filling in for a last-minute spot, so we didn't really get a chance to organize our show too well, so we're just going to wing it for you folks. But these guys are doing some really cool stuff. Um, Brad, you know, I, re- I read about uh, the stuff you were doing. Uh, you were, you're a carpenter by trade, mm-hmm. and you uh, you were building some some tiny homes down in in Moxon Flats. Is that uh, is that yes, correct? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now remind me, were you? Um, I was out at the farm there last week on Wednesday. But you you guys were on the radio last week, or at least Philip, you were right. Yeah. And my yeah. my uh, power cut off, so I listened to a little bit of your show. But this is the first time you're on on air with us on right? this show yes yep. first time thank you yep and um so tell us a little bit about but how you got uh, started with that and and um yeah some of the details like where do you get the material from to build that uh uh why did you choose that design for that for that building and um yeah the, the, some of your thought process around all that stuff yeah for sure um well as some of you know um we did uh start building out the tiny tiny little shelters four feet by four feet by eight feet and um i was plugging away on those because of limited um budget limited uh resources and then philip and i met and uh, he threw his um social media and media contacts and 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 uh, organization connections behind the effort and we together almost immediately almost overnight were able to scrape together enough funds to start the larger Units, which are eight feet by eight feet by seven feet, um, and the reason they're much more large is because they're more comfortable. So we had some feedback from the really tiny ones that they were just not big enough. You know, they they will save a life in winter if they're insulated. We didn't get that far with the feedback and the funds. We were able to do the larger units, and they're much more comfortable. You can put a bed in them. Um, they're just enough space to 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 heat if you can find a heat source. Um, and to have a bed and and some personal belongings. And so that's why we chose that. It's a very, very plain structure, um, perfect square box, basically, and uh, with a, a slanted roof, and that allows the water to shed. So, yeah, um, we, we have been able to purchase the materials from the big box stores. That's how we get all of our material, um, not all, some have been donated, so that's been w- wonderful as well. So, mm-hmm. the the four by four units that would be basically for you could sit in those. I guess you'd have a little chair in there. Was that the idea? Uh, you can't. Like, they were eight feet tall by four by four. Pardon me, they were eight feet uh, horizontally. Oh, okay. So you could sleep, sleep but there. not stand up. Gotcha. Yeah. And were those kind of mo- more mobile? Actually, no, I don't think I've I've seen those ones. Are those uh, were they more mobile? Was that the idea? Uh, they're pretty heavy still, not really mobile. Yeah. Um, in a pinch, you could put wheels on it and wheel them around. I'm sure. And yeah. some people did try to um, move them around, but they um, they didn't make it too far. Anyway, we just did a few of those. Yeah. Yeah. So the eight the eight foot by eight foot by seven was that um, uh, two by four construction like or yes. two by yeah yeah. And then you put insulation in those units? We did. Yeah. We still do, yeah. And yeah. Uh, what about uh, moisture on the inside? Did you, did, is it um, overkill to put uh, vapor barrier on the inside? Or? Oh, no, we have to put vapor barrier on the inside, not only for vape as a, in order to, well, the vapor barrier is, is to keep uh, people from getting the, uh, what's the insulation on them, but also to, as part of the insulation factor, um, 
keep the cold air out. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Vapor barrier does a huge role in, in warming yeah, up the house. Absolutely, you get all that insulation in your walls. You're still kind of cold, right? Once you get that vapor barrier in, makes yeah. a big difference. So on the inside, that's basically it. That's the interior finish. Is the is a vapor barrier? Um, it was originally. Then we quickly realized they they can punch through the plastic fairly easily. So what we started doing is putting plywood on the inside up till four feet. Oh yeah, yeah, and then the rest is just like half inch plywood kind of thing, or half inch plywood. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, OSB, OSB. Yeah, yeah. whatever, whatever we can get, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, how many of those units have you guys constructed now? Um, I think we've done thirteen or so, with an additional thirteen or fourteen, with an additional donation by obviously the company in green building systems from red deer uh which gives brings it up to 18 i think was the last count tell us right i think it's 18 i think i think think we're actually at 16 16 we have we have two more ready to go out but yeah so yeah so do you guys are you guys working on these at the as as we speak kind of thing we are then let me answer that question um i i um we have been the lead person volunteer we can say community advocate to lead the effort and I am finding myself in an awkward situation where I have to step back a little bit so I can focus on a couple other responsibilities at home yep. and so what I would like to do and we're in the middle of this transition time is part of the reason why nothing seems to be happening right now I did step away to Vancouver for a couple of weeks and that cold hit and so everything kind of crawled to a halt and so um we definitely do want to see the effort continue. And so we're in the middle of trying to seek more funds and more volunteers. And it seems like as of today, we have found another lead volunteer who can sort of spearhead the project again. I will support him as much as I can, but he's going to be the main boots on the ground person. And then hopefully we'll have another small crew to help him um, in the ongoing project. So it, would, it, would, it, would it make sense to like put a little call out to the radio to, to get people to get in touch with you, or are you more selective about who you want helping? Like you, you want to make sure, obviously, people can handle tools and, and have some experience doing the stuff. But how, how many volunteers are you looking for, and, and how can we help you out finding those people for you? Um, that's a good question. We're never going to say no to any kind of volunteerism, period. So any kind of help people can, can throw our way. It's not just us. It's... it's um, Food and clothing and all mm-hmm. kinds of things. Philip can answer that question. Why don't you answer I that didn't, question? I, I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> 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 I mean, I'm coming on these shows and I'm like, yeah, I'll just talk about stuff and we'll hear what, what, what comes of it. But I mean, yeah, if we can put a call out to local residents, ones that might be retired or or just slowing down in life or, you know, off work for a little bit but not injured and they want to come and help. <clears throat> Absolutely. I had two people approach me at the healing fire today. They had the march down there and uh, gave me their numbers to come in and volunteer. So everywhere I go, people sort of recognize me. I'm really tall. It's hard to miss me. So people are just coming up to me and saying, hey, how can I help? What can I do? And I bring in as many people as I can to volunteer. But we're working on the lead. So uh, I've got uh, one guy that has, has offered to lead the workers and be like a supervisor on site. Right on. Okay, we're going to be back with some more of this right after this break. Learn or improve your wood turning skills this year with the Prince George Turning Guild. Learn spindle turning, face plate and bowl turning, and tool sharpening with demonstrations and hands-on sessions by local Turning Guild members. Contact Tim for more information or to express your interest by emailing timpower6 at gmail.com. 
That's the Prince George Wood Turning Guild with demonstration and hands-on sessions on through March. Email timpower6 at gmail.com. The Alzheimer's Society of BC's Northern Interior, Northwest, and Northeast Resource Center is located at 1811 Victoria Street. One-to-one in-person support is available by appointment. Book your appointment by emailing eldacruz at alzheimersbc.org. Call the office at 250-564-7533 or toll-free at 1-866-564-7533. The Northern Interior, Northwest, and Northeast Alzheimer's Resource Center, 1811 Victoria Street. There are just two Golden Age socials remaining for the season. Monday, March 25th and Wednesday, June 12th, the City of Prince George, your Council of Seniors, and a host organization provide tea, coffee, snacks, table prizes, and decorations at the Civic Center for those 50 and older to enjoy an afternoon out of social interaction with other seniors. It's a great break for your well-being and mental health. Don't miss the next Golden Age Social, 2 o'clock Monday, March 25th at the Civic Center. Forecast from Environment Canada. Today, sunny, wind from the north at 20, a high minus 5 with a wind chill to minus 12. Tonight, a few clouds, fog passes developing after midnight with north winds becoming light, low minus 14 with a wind chill to minus 20. Thursday, morning fog patches, then sunny, wind from the north at 20, starting late in the afternoon, high minus 7 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 10. Matters here. We've got Philip Fredrickson, Brad Gustafson in the studio. We're, we're chatting about tiny homes uh, down in, in <sighs> Moxon Flats. So uh, Philip and Brad and a bunch of other volunteers have been uh, w- working down there, probably building more social housing units than uh, all three levels of government combined. <laughs> That's funny. It's <laughs> For true. probably a fraction of the cost. Um, That's also true. You know, it's uh, it's obviously not not ide- uh, you know the ideal housing situation that folks want to be in, but it's uh, it's probably saving lives and providing uh, folks with dignity and and all that. So so good work, you guys. Absolutely. For There's if you don't mind me, I'll just I just want to talk on oh, that yeah. for a minute because having dignity is a big part of uh, what we do. Because um, the the report that came out from the housing advocate recently, the first thing that she mentioned was having a choice of so choice of places to live choice of what to do not being forced into shelters not being forced into uh, sros or supportive housing and um what we do provide is we provide that autonomy they have their own place i really hope that that letter goes through and we get some electricity and some water down there because once those units are set up and are able to have heating they're going to be all the better for the for the clients that have them. However, because they're temporary measures, this is only a step in the direction that we're going. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to be uh, we don't want to be housing people. We just are doing it now in case of emergency. So mm-hmm. so getting some services down there is definitely the next step. Yeah, yeah, right on. So so speaking of heating those little units, uh, I guess electric electric heat is is probably the safest best bet. Or what about um, you know um, a friend of mine had a little tiny uh, wood stove in his um, in his camper, and that was pretty cool. You know these are little stoves like uh, you know oh, it's yeah. probably like a foot by a foot. I've seen and I've seen one of those fire pits inside a camper. Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. uh, that's not ideal. Absolutely, electrical heat is the safest and best option, one hundred percent. Yeah, um, we've been exploring the heating option for months now, and it's really hard to find a reliable, easy, and inexpensive solution, except for a wood burning stove. When people are in 
the situation that they're in, they're fairly often on drugs and they may fall asleep or something, and then that becomes a bit of a safety mm-hmm. issue. But but the important lesson here is that we are providing the shelter. They We are leaving the decision up to the heating source, up to them currently, just because we don't have the funds for it. And um, so, frankly, yeah, this is an excellent opportunity to bring up the issue of the need for hydro. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah getting some electricity down there but also uh just want to make sure we get out there to our listeners that um you know we do have a gofundme going it has slowed down as we slowed down but um we do want to ramp back up i've put a post on social media you can go to end homelessness canada yes please on facebook you can go on to together we stand and just check out our efforts and uh, find the gofundme there and uh support just so that we can get people housed because we are expecting another cold snap so okay yeah that's that's good to know uh, what what about um, you know a, fr- a friend told me that a human body is like the equivalent of a forty five watt space heater or something like that, <laughs> and this I mean, these these are almost small enough that you could actually heat them up with your own body heat. So like you'd have like to have a, a few people in them, but like yes. a, almost like a passive house idea. Yeah, but I wonder how much um, I wonder how much more insulation would be required to really make that effective. Like what? Uh, so so the units that we get from in green building solutions those are made with sips panels which are pre-insulated uh double-sided osb um and they're like lego pieces they all fit together and the seal on them is a lot more um structurally sound and is able to keep heat we have six more of them coming hopefully this week we're just waiting for word but six more of those units coming that since the fire they have sprayed with fire retardant Mm -hmm. to make sure that they're not at risk for fire so you know we do learn as we go that um you know we've got to start looking out for things like this so heating is definitely the number one issue that we have right now because we don't have anything in place for them Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so you're right though about the about the that concept about human body heat, that was one of the reasons why I started doing the really small units, four feet by four feet by eight feet, because you, two people in there, you probably save your life just by your body heat. But um, the feedback we received was sufficient to make us change course and do the larger units. In those units, body heat with a two by four wall, I don't think they'd be adequate. Maybe with a two by six wall mm-hmm. uh, and a couple of people, two or three people, that might work. But it it seems like we, you know, it, I mean, it's it's nice thinking, but it seems we do need a source of heat, right? Especially in our harsh winters. I almost uh, I almost wonder if um, you know, the carpenter kind of builder side of my brain is wondering what uh, what kind of research projects we could incorporate into providing <laughs> these housing. So you know, the Wood Innovation Center is just down the road, mm-hmm. and uh, they you know they theoretically do all sorts of research. They're doing all sorts of research in there, but it's all kind of real high-tech, uh, expensive kind of structural um, testing and all this stuff. They got like a huge million-dollar uh, press to test how strong wood project products are. But I'm like wondering, like, why are we doing? Why are we using that resource uh, to develop like some like, you know, how do we do like a, a a small, tiny home, passive home? Like, what's the cheapest, most efficient, <laughs> most cost-effective, warmest thing that we could do? Maybe exploring different materials. So. Not to go on my little stop the spray rant here, but uh, cottonwood lumber has a R value that's almost, that's about fifty percent higher than 
spruce pine and uh, subalpine fir. So, you know, Interesting. maybe that'd be a neat uh, opportunity to experiment with different wood species mm-hmm. as, as far as uh, energy efficiency and that kind of thing. Um, Philip, you had your hand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to say I spoke with a, I was, I, I, a lot of people reach out to me from all over the country to talk about um, the solutions and stuff. And there's a guy named Paul Dawkins in Halifax, Nova Scotia, who contacted me. And they're using something called Aircrete. Are you familiar with Aircrete? No. So it is a form of concrete and something else. I'm not 100% familiar with it, but people are finding alternative solutions. So, I mean, there's yeah. always ways to do that. However, the the question you're asking is why aren't we working with the municipal um, or with the city to try to find solutions through things like UMBC uh, Wood Innovation Center? But if if the city and these companies start moving in and, and assisting the liability falls on them. So we end up in a situation where, you know, if they start it, they actually have to finish it. And if they finish it, they have to continue to support it. And I know it's a really sticky situation for a lot of people considering the precariousness of encampments, but that's one of the main reasons that we are two volunteers who started building tiny shelters for people. Yeah, liability is is kills so many great ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I was, was going to say um, that's also one of the reasons why we were so excited to accept the the six tiny homes and now six more tiny homes from In Green Building Systems because the SIPS panel technology is a wonderful way to do it. And mm-hmm. it's, it is e- quick and easy and efficient and so much faster and, and so on. Well, well, then why doesn't, like, the city or even something like a Wood Innovation Center, you know, like, they could just manufacture the panels and, like, whatever right. people want to do with it, that's up to them. You know, they could... You're sounding can... like you want to be an advocate with us. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that on the break. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with you. Your Prince George Council of Seniors is proud to present Jim Burns in concert April 27th at Vanier Hall. With a career spanning more than five decades and numerous awards, including three Junos and an Order of Canada honor, Jim's live performances light up every stage with songs and stories tried and true. In support of your Prince George Council of Seniors, Jim Burns, Saturday, April 27th at Vanier Hall. Tickets available through ticketsnorth.ca and at the CN Center box office. The Heart Pioneer Center has an array of delicious meal choices for anyone to enjoy. Regular lunches are just $12. Place your order between 9 and 1 the day before by calling the center at 250-962-6712, then pick up or dine in between 1130 and 1. Open Monday to Friday from 9 to 3. The Heart Pioneer Center, 6986 Heart Highway. Call 250-962-6712 and get your freshly prepared meal at an affordable price. Family Dental Care is once again presenting Give Back, Smile Back, Sunday, April 7th. For seniors without dental coverage, the program offers a no-charge cleaning, filling, or extraction. There's limited space available, so submit your application as soon as possible. Give Back, Smile Back, Sunday, April 7th. Applications are available at the Prince George Council of Seniors Resource Centre, 1335th Avenue. Only applicants without coverage will be considered. Give Back, Smile Back. Application deadline is March 22nd. Hi, folks. I'm back. Your host, James Teitel. We've got another 10 minutes here, and we've got so much more to talk about. We're probably gonna, we'll probably have these guys on again next week, actually, to, to talk more about this, um, maybe more of the political angles. But uh, I think for the last 10 minutes here, we just want to talk about uh, how we can get uh, you, the listening public, involved and, 
and uh, how we can help out uh, getting more houses, getting more funding for these guys going on. Uh, Philip, you had an interesting experience after you were on that radio actually last week, and you went to Zoe's and you ran into somebody who heard this on yeah. the radio. Yeah, it was actually also a really that. cool experience. So Brad and I left here, and, and we went to uh, to Zoe's just on 3rd there, and uh, or 4th, and... This woman came up to us and said, I just heard you on the radio, and I just want to know how I can support and help. Her name's Wendy Gerard, and she's a little socialite in this town, and I'm hoping she's listening right now so she can hear <laughs> that I gave her a plug. But her and her friend down south, actually, in the States, have been working with us to build, um, to make a poster for for the work we're doing, putting our GoFundMe out there to people who might not have access to internet or uh, use social media and things like that. So, you know, just finding those other formats that we can put these things in. And, and to be honest, I don't think Brad and I really thought about that. We were just sort of sucking on what we could out of social media. And uh, it's just a really positive thing when people come up to you in public and, and state how much they want to help. So thank you, Wendy and, and uh, Sharon, who have been helping us. Yeah, no, it's so important to hit, uh, you know, things like the radio. This is kind of a traditional uh, source of media, and I don't think radio is ever going to die. And a uh, great way to get the, the message out. Um, now, uh, Brad, you want to... We were going to maybe uh, chat a little bit about the production line you got and, and uh, some of the details on that. Where is this stuff getting built mostly? Uh, we'll, we our, our location is being generously provided by um, the McDonald brothers, Al and John. And they uh, have given us a... So a shout-out to them for their generosity, absolutely. And they've given us a space in a, in one of their workshops, one of their work bays down by the Prince George Citizen there, very close to Moccasin Flats, right next door, in fact. And so um, it's allowed us to keep the tools out of the weather and the materials out of the weather, which was becoming a problem. Um, it's It's been a... So along the same lines of what Philip was getting at is... Yes, volunteers have been coming and supporting the effort in and out, back and forth, and 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 some very ongoing. Uh, shout out to Stephen, for example, uh, Stephen Dubas, the photographer. He's been a wonderful uh, support, probably the the mainstay of the effort, to be honest, and um, and so many others. I I don't think I can name them all here, but um, uh, I could. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Well, well, right, Throw I, some names. My, my buddy, my buddy Ryan Kalsbeek, If you're out there, Ryan, yep. uh, he's our roofer. Yeah, he's, he's our roof guy, man. He's yep. awesome. He's so great. They're so great. Everyone, Rosita Martinez. We've yep. got like I could name probably a dozen people right now. That and a, lo- and a lot of them are from the community as well, like the the unhoused community. They do try to come in and step up and do their part where they can. But uh, yeah, we've yep. we've been blessed. Yeah, uh, Wayne Vanderwerf, Barry Bamer, tremendous, tremendous help. Rosita, Tim, what's his last name? Uh, Tim, Tim Bryce, uh, yep. Philip, Philip Seltzer. Yeah, uh, Ray Brisson. I mean, yep. I, yeah. Uh, Peter, <laughs> I feel like we're accepting yeah. an award. <laughs> we're we're, <laughs> we're gonna miss someone for sure. Uh, Peter, what's his? Oh, Peter Mitchell. Peter Mitchell, yeah. thank you for yeah. all of you guys and, the and all of your services, help. And the food services, like the food that gets down to Moxon Flats every Sunday by PG Local Food and April Audison and her team with yes. Diane Nakamura yes. and Selena and uh, J- um, Georgie. Georgie. Like the, these, Nikki. People, these people take their entire weekends to prepare a Sunday meal. Yeah. And it's just incredible. So, you know, there's a lot of people doing things. Are you guys getting any of that uh, the canning circle stuff? Uh, it's not really so conducive to people in these tiny homes since okay. they don't have anywhere to heat it up. But I do see it getting out there. That canned goods do make it to a lot of the SROs and the supportive yeah. housing. 
So what about uh, tool donations? Are you guys looking for any like nail guns or uh, screw guns or what, anything like that? We have a couple of nail guns. We have enough tools-ish, but the ish part is that they are mostly my tools. And um, some some contractors, as you well know, like to use their own stuff. So um, we welcome uh, different tools, obviously, as well. We welcome... You're a DeWalt guy? Uh, I, I have rigid. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, so it's 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 really cool to be able to welcome volunteers down there. Thank you to, I think we can say his name, the new lead. Can we say his name? Well, no, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not okay. Yet. Not until he confirms. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to the new lead volunteer, and and hopefully he can sort of be the foreman on site as we continue to do this. But if you're looking for something to do, come volunteer. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about that process. How do they? Uh, do you have an email that we can? Uh, yeah, you can over the you air? can email end homelessness movement or sorry end homelessness Canada movement at gmail dot com or you can find us on social media at end homelessness Canada. So this this sounds like a big national organization, but is it? It's We're working with like I said, I get a call from Halifax from a guy down there. We have people connecting. But the, but, with the, us. but when you uh, send an email to that email, that's going to Philip here in Prince George, right? Yes, yes. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this isn't an email to somebody in Ottawa or something. No, this no, is, uh, yeah. no. Somebody right here in town. Yeah. Uh, Philip. Well, I'm looking at him. He's yeah. a real guy. And he <laughs> I'm will a real person. <laughs> and homelessness Canada movement. And, and he'll hook you. He'll hook you up with um, with uh, something to do. Yeah, with Brad, I guess. With or, or you know, we got the new lead, I guess. Uh, uh, shortly enough, and, and get down too. there. And yeah, I'll be down there for a little bit. What about uh, two by fours and lumber? Where where you guys buying us from lumber store? Or is there any way to get donations? We've had that lots. Kind of thing? We've had lots yeah, of we donations. Have, yeah. uh, we did a tear down of a of a structure and got enough to build about three or four homes out of that i mean we we just kind of like ride the seat of our pants right yeah. and on comes. that note i just want to put the need out the need right now is insulation and um osb okay four by eight sheets of seven sixteenths osb that's the need yeah. right now which okay. we will purchase if we get funds yeah. but if we don't get funds and you have some sitting in your backyard or in your garage bring them down yeah. and thank you to all those who have provided some of that absolutely yeah, yeah. There was a insulation company in that uh, warehouse. I don't know if they're still there, but uh, they used to give away when they uh, do blow in and in oh. structures. They they pull out all the old insulation. They give it away on uh, Marketplace or Craigslist or okay. Kijiji. Uh, I don't know if they're still there, but um, you know we should put a shout out. Of, hey, if you're doing uh, if you're in the insulation trade and you're upgrading somebody's insulation, don't throw that insulation out. You know, as long as it's not moldy or yeah, bad or disgusting or yeah. you know has snakes living in it, bring it down and. <laughs> And Pet probably snakes are always welcome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, bring it down, and, and we can turn that into uh, turn that into tiny homes. What about roofing? What's uh, what's going on top of those things? That is a good question. That's thank you for bringing that up. We do need roofing. We need tin roofing, about three pieces of ten foot sheet metal roofing per unit, and we do not have that right now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And Ryan, if you're listening, you can come and finish the roofs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's so cool that you guys are doing that. You know, um, uh, you know, leave it, leave it to the community and got people like you to to step up to the plate uh, when our government <coughs> is, seems to be so broken that it can't do anything. I do want to say thank you to the governmental forces that are at work. I'm not going to name names, but who have interpreted the bylaws sufficiently 
loosely to allow us to continue the effort. So I do want to say yeah. thank you to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah get on the yeah. Maverick uh, bureaucrats out and, there. We know, yeah. you know, we know you're out there. You know, we're not always slagging bureaucrats on <laughs> no, on the radio no. show. Uh, you know, you're people too, and you, and you want to help people. And unfortunately, the institutions often get in the way of, yeah, of solutions. Right. Also, I just want to say, like, for people who are sitting on the edge of the fence about whether they want to come down and help and sort of whether they think they can be of any help, keep in mind that, like, you know, this is community. This is how it all started. No, keep going. Keep yeah. Oh, sorry, he's flagging at me. I thought he was telling me to stop talking. No, we got another. We got another minute to. All right, yeah, okay. but 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 come down and get get a sense of that community. I mean, I mean, we work with a lot of different groups. So um, if you don't fit in the building, you'll we'll find another place for you. You know, mm-hmm. this can only grow, and and it's a positive thing. It's not just the tiny homes, and it's not just food, and it's not just services. So. Okay, right on. Thank, thank you guys for coming down. That was uh, Philip Fredrickson and Brad Gustafson on the radio uh, with us talking about uh, the tiny homes that they've been building for the folks down in Moccasin Flats. Thank you. Yep. Uh, thanks, thanks again, you guys, and we will uh, we'll we'll talk to you again next Wednesday. Uh, this is Local Matters. Thanks for listening. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station.